Hello, welcome to the Max Communications 2020 podcast, a series of podcasts where we explore various archives and collections. My name is Faith Williams and I'm joined today by Ruth McLeod, data curator and archivist for London South Bank University. Would you like to introduce yourself, Ruth, and tell us about how you came to be in your position? Yeah, thank you. Yes, uh, my name is Ruth, obviously. Um, I have been with London South Bank University for about four years, but I've been an archivist for nearly 15, which is a slightly horrifying length of time in some ways. It doesn't feel like that long. Um, my job title does sound very fancy because it's data curator and archivist, and the data curator bit refers to the fact that I work with research data for the university and chat to academics about their requirements for storing and managing the long-term preservation of their data, which does actually tie in quite nicely to working with archives. Um, I am obviously also the university archivist, which means that I'm looking after the historic collections of the university and um, helping people to use them, and also using them quite a lot for um, internal stuff at the university. It's mostly an institutional archive, so we like to use our history for a range as well. And we'll probably enthuse about those um, as we go on. <laughs> so um, South Bank Institution was founded in 1892, and then you became a university in 1992. So is that the period that your archive covers? Um, we have a handful of things from slightly earlier on um, because South Bank when it was founded as the Borough Polytechnic in 1892, but the Borough Polytechnic and in fact um, another South London Polytechnic uh, were founded by public subscription. So we've got records relating to the fundraising for it, which are really interesting because it's a big fundraising and project to try and get a range of different people, from people who were giving kind of several thousand pounds to people who were giving a few shillings. Um, so we've got the records of that from the 1880s onwards. But the bulk of the collection does start with the foundation of the Borough Poly in 1892. Um, we became a university in 1992, so we've got you know right up to the present day as well. Um, and we've also got a range of other institutions that have joined us at different points. And um, we didn't just go from being this one polytechnic institution to becoming a university. Uh, we changed over time as different bodies merged in and kind of brought different subject specialties in with us. So we've got stuff relating to some of those as well. So what type of material do you have? Obviously a lot of student related things, but do you have other um, content? Yeah, well, we've got the complete kind of governance history of the university, and um, which sounds very unexciting when you phrase it like that, but it really means that we've got all the, the minutes of the governing body, and the minutes of various committees, and things like annual reports. We've got 125 years worth of prospectuses, which are really interesting due to the way they describe courses at different points, and the, the really random courses that we ran. Um, we've also got quite a lot of photographs that were taken at different points. Uh, some of those were taken for promotional purposes uh, early on. So there's a really great set of images from approximately 1910, uh, which are of all our classrooms and some very posed shots of um, students in the classrooms at the time, which are both interesting and sometimes a bit strange. The ones that people posing in the gym are always really disconcerting. Um, but then we've also got things from the other institutions that became part of us. So some of those are, again, more minutes. Um, 
list of who did exams and when. There's a couple of nice little architectural models of buildings that we've had, you know, designed at different points. Um, I, I, I do always like an architectural Little tiny people in cars and trying to work out how things are going to run in them, and they're just such an unusual thing to have. Um, we've also got some stuff from a couple of nursing schools that joined us at different points, uh, which includes lists of, you know, who studied at the nursing school and some sort of generic prospective stuff about studying nursing. Um, but also a couple of nurses' cloaks, which are quite fun. Um, I like to get those out to show people at different points because nobody really expects you to have a, a cloak in your collection if you're a standard uh, university as opposed to a nursing organisation or some kind of magic school. <laughs> it doesn't really come up very often. Yeah, there's a range of different things. I mean, the, the South Bank started off as a polytechnic, so it's more kind of practical courses. So it would be like nursing. I think you had cooking as well. Um, so do you have a backlog of sort of these practical items that were used for teaching? Um, not really practical items so much. I mean, we, we do have the oldest still running bakery school in the world. Um, the National Bakery School was founded in 1894. But because they've had to keep the teaching up to date, and we haven't really got the old stuff around, and um, there's some stuff from the bakery school that they won as prizes at different points that we've got as part of the collection. So there's a small amount of silverware. But the bakery school at different points, you know, if they needed to upgrade their equipment, they didn't keep the old stuff hanging around. Um, and ditto with things like engineering labs, they need to keep them up to date. So we've got a lot of images and plans of when people redesigned all of these things, um, but we don't have the, the old kit. So who accesses the archive? Um, it really depends on what people are looking for. So we use it quite a lot for our students. We have a history course at LSBU, which is very keen on the practical application of history and making sure that the students are actually working with more than just history books. So they're encouraged to look at archives, to do some kind of object handling and museum work at different points, and to look at things like buildings. And so we do a lot of work with them to make sure that they know how to use archives, and they get an idea of how to start doing research in archives for themselves. So they, they actually do a, an archive research project in their first year. Um, so that's quite a kind of hands up that's very hands on thing. Um, you know, they, they do all the research, they kind of we have workshops for them where they do that. Um and increasingly we're looking to broaden that out so that other students might get a chance to do that as well. So that's kind of mediated access really. Um we get researchers who are particularly interested in some of our more unusual collections. Um most of our stuff is institutional, but we have got one collection, which was the Greater London Area War Risk Study, uh, which was run in the 1980s uh, to assess, assess what would happen to London if it was hit by a nuclear bomb, um, which is sort of reports about uh, emergency medicine, preparedness, um, and, you know, where the where the safe zones would be from fallout um, and a whole range of other things like that, which are slightly unnerving. There's a, a document in there called Preparing for Armageddon, uh, which 
So this is like, well, somebody asked for that. That's going to be a, a cheery day today. Um, so that we've had a range of people come in to look at that who are interested in the history of nuclear war, really, um, and the kind of influence that some of that had. Uh, we've had people come in who are interested in different methods of teaching. We've got quite a lot of material about um, adult literacy. We had a, a unit that works specifically with English as a second language and adult literacy. So occasionally we've had researchers who are interested in the history of how that discipline has developed come in to look at that. And the other thing that we get a lot of, um, the, the archive used a lot for, is our own history. Um, there are a couple of bits of the university that have had significant anniversaries in the last couple of years. And the institution was 125 not that long ago. And the bakery school, uh, because it was founded in 1894, its 125th anniversary was last year. And we're looking at another anniversary coming up um, next academic year. got quite a lot of internal history that people are keen on examining and using to boost the profile of the university, um, but also just because they're, they're interested in seeing how we have maintained our mission over time. You know, we were founded as this organization that wanted to um, increase the practical education for people in South London who might not otherwise have had access to that kind of education. and actually our mission in many ways hasn't changed that much. Uh, we maybe use slightly different phrasing to what people used in 1892. But a lot of people within the university like to use that history to demonstrate that we've been doing this for a long time. And it's, it's actually really interesting, kind of, they come to me and ask a question, and then I go and find what I can in the archives to support it, whether that be images or sections from our prospectuses talking about what courses we ran or trying to work out the statistics for how many women did engineering subjects with us and what happened to them afterwards. That's the kind of thing that we get asked about. You have mentioned that South Bank was founded for the sort of local community, but it is still largely got a London population of students, doesn't it? Yes, very much so. Um, we currently train, I think it's 25% of London's nurses. Oh, wow. Um, I, which is a staggering amount. I mean, the, the amount um, of people that come through health and social care is, is really impressive. Um, but yeah, we have always very, very much had that um, local focus and um, yeah, trying to encourage people from, from the area to come to us because we're right there and it's easy for them. Um, over the years, some of the stuff I've been looking at recently um, has shown that you know, we've done things to specifically encourage people back into work um, later on and we make provision for that kind of thing. And that is always going to be local people. If we're running a class in the, in the evening, that is going to be a very London-centric thing. But we had some great classes at different points for um, encouraging women into engineering in the 1980s, specifically ones who may have been out of the, out of the workplace for a little while. And um, we had a great class about uh, encouraging maths for people that we were running in the evening uh, who maybe hadn't done maths since they were in school but needed it to get into some other course. And it was very much a, 
an evening one for people who are working. So it's very locally focused. And you can see that thread from, from the 1890s. Those classes are early 1980s right up to today as well. It's really interesting. Do you feel like um, you have more links with the local community than perhaps a normal or, or, or another university archive might do? It's very hard to say um, because I, I can't really comment on what other university archives are like specifically. Um, I think that we we do as a university try to work quite closely with the area around us um, and because we've been doing that for such a long time then we probably do have a little bit more crossover than some others might have um, we ran an exhibition for the centenary of the end of the first world war um, and we ran that jointly with southern archives to look at the impact of what had happened over the, the four years of the war um, in and around Southwark, um, particularly around Borough and Elven Castle. And we did actually have quite a lot of crossover in the stories that we could tell through that exhibition. We, we knew that some of our um, female students had got involved with nursing in a particular local military hospital, and you know, Southwark had more information about that military hospital and the images for it. So you can see the kind of threads tying up together with the area because um, we have always worked quite closely with with Southwark really, which is where we're based. I mean we're right on the border of um Lapis and Southwark, but we are solidly in in Southwark. Do you how do you get how do you build your archive? Do you get donations and things like that or is it mainly coming from within the university? It mainly comes from within the university, uh, but we do occasionally get donations of material. But because our collection policy is largely to collect the history of South Bank, most of it is, is coming from inside the university. Uh, occasionally things will come up that we, we just don't have, so um, someone else might have it. So earlier this year, we were given an image of all of the teaching staff from um, uh, the girls' trade school. We used to run it up until uh, the late 1940s. We ran what were effectively two high schools, one for boys and one for girls, which helped them uh, prepare for working in trade. They were called the boys and girls' trade schools. Um, and somebody sent a photograph of the teaching staff uh, because their mother had been on the staff. So he, he no longer wanted the picture, or he scanned himself a copy of it, and so he sent us the original, and we just didn't have that. Um, so occasionally we will fill gaps because other people have given us material, but a lot of the time it does come from within the institution. What particular challenges come from managing the South Bank Archive? I think there are always challenges with managing any archives around long-term preservation of it. Um, I don't think we've got any unusual challenges in that respect. You know, we're just trying to make sure that we look after it and that anybody who uses it handles it properly and we don't kind of degrade the collections in any way. Um, I think possibly one of the, the biggest challenges for most archives is letting people know that we're there and encouraging them to come in and use us. So we 
try and do that in a, a range of ways. I mean, my fondness for getting involved with anything to do with institutional history, um, I think, really helps in in promoting what we do and how we can support things. But I think the the biggest challenge for us is always people realizing that we're there. Um, it can be quite easy to to overlook that the archive exists. Um, at the moment, we're in the middle of um, planning a move for next year. There'll be a, a new university library and actually a new space for the archive and we're hoping that that will help um, the kind of challenges of people not knowing where we are or not knowing that we exist because we'll be obviously there in a corner of the library um, with big signs outside. Um, so the big challenges at the moment are around planning for that move because an archive move is always a slightly daunting prospect. It's not just a case of pick something up and, and shove it in a box and move it open and carry it over. It's a bit more complex than that. Um, and then, yeah, making sure that the the new location goes alongside with more people knowing that we exist. And obviously, uh, by the time we've moved, we don't know what the uh, requirements are going to be for um, the current world situation. I mean, we don't want to go into that too much, but um, we need to take you pl plan long term as well. Is your new location still going to be in Southwark? Yes. Um, we're moving to a new, uh, different building on campus, um, a building that we've had for a long time um, that's been extensively refurbished and, in fact, completely redone. It's been kind of gutted from the inside out. Um, and so the whole the whole of us are due to move in 2021. That's the plan. Mm, that's exciting. Quite exciting. Um, how big is your archive? How much stuff do you have to move? Um, Oh, that's the kind of question that I should have looked up before we started this interview. <laughs> um, I think we have something like approximately uh, 4,000 items in the archive. Um, okay. that an, an item can range from being an architectural model, which is, you know, two meters square, to one photograph. So it, it, it's quite a, a difficult question to answer. Um, and because our, our storage space is a little bit varied at the moment, it's not even like I can say it's however many meters of shelving. It's not a massive collection, but it's not, you know, 20 boxes either. What are your hopes for um, the future of the collection? Do you want to expand it, or is it just all about engaging people with what you've already got? The first bit is actually all about engaging people with what we've already got. Um, I would really love to see more people using the collection. Um, whether that be, you know, us using it in teaching with students or more people coming from outside the university to, to do that. Um, so we, a lot of the work that I'm trying to do at the moment is about promoting what we have um, and looking at how we can do that and um, what else we can do. Um, in terms of, like, the content of the archives, we do have some plans for what we might want to do in terms of developing the collection, but those are kind of slightly dependent on other other factors, uh, one of which is things like a funding bid. So we have to wait and see what happens with that. But what we would really like to do is, is see the collection have more of a representation with students. Um, a lot of it is very heavy on the official side of the university, you know, who's, who's running things, what minutes we've created, um, what the, the big decisions have been. And we don't always have that much that reflects the, the life of the students at the university. But obviously, you can't have a university without students. So we'd really like to expand the collections to 
cover a little bit more of what student life is actually like. Um, so that's the kind of long term and plan and for the future. Do you think a lot of this stuff in the future will be digital? Yes, I do. Um, I mean, one of one of my favourite things that demonstrates student voice I, I might go on about a bit later because I think they're brilliant, but um, I do think that things aren't being produced in that kind of way a lot of the time. Even our official documentation is now all digital, so we are moving a lot to having a very minimal printed element and a very much so the digital side. I mean, we will still be printing our, um, our prospectuses every year, but we're not going to be printing out every single set of minutes in the same way or handwriting every set of minutes the way we were in 1892. So yeah, there's a real mixture at the moment, but I think increasingly it is going to be digital. So that is one of the challenges actually for the future is, like everybody else, how best do we manage that and continue to make it available? You just mentioned your um, student newspapers, which I agree, or I remember them from uni and, and they're great fun. But yeah. are they your favourite interesting item, or do you have something else that tickles your fancy more so? Oh. I think I think the student magazines probably are my favourite item. Um, they're they're a really fascinating mix. We've got student magazines from the early twentieth century, which I think are more kind of were slightly more official, but with quite a lot of student content in them. So they're quite formal. And then you move to the, the the ones of the 60s, which are a bit more, um, early 60s are a bit more um, formal but student-driven. And then by the time you get to the late 60s and into the 70s, they are much more informal and they're very heavily student and student union-driven. Um, there's some incredibly uh, non-politically correct material in there. Uh, which is sometimes quite shocking to see, um, except that often there's the reassurance that the next issue there's somebody complaining about it. You know, there's this horrendous sexism, mm -hmm. and then the following issue there are people pointing out that that's not acceptable. Um, but also there's quite often a real political strand to them. They were quite a campaigning bunch of students at that point. Um, and it's just really interesting to see how they write about the different challenges that they had. You know, the stuff about student housing, um, guidance for what to do in a whole range of different kinds of situations that you might come up against as a student, um, everything from counselling to financial problems to you know, what to do if you get arrested, um, some of which is, uh, as I say, a little bit shocking to read, um, but also it, it, some of the issues haven't really changed. Um, so they're just a, a really interesting snapshot of the time. And I mean, there are some other bits of our material that I I love as well. I mean, the the old prospectuses are great. Um, a lot of it's really standard, you know, descriptions of courses. But then you you're looking through it and you find out that we offered a course in the in the 1930s called Household Jobbing for Women, which is basically about how to do basic DIY around the house. Mm. <laughs> and it's just so you get this sort of it's in, in the midst of you know all these other courses that are quite similar to what we run today and then you've got these very practical courses and some of the stuff that's listed um, 
are, and it's something I could not do. I mean, I'm reasonably good at DIY, and I was like, I can't do that. <laughs> How to, you know, muck about with the gas? And I'm like, I'm not touching the gas. That's insane. <laughs> but you know, so little little snippets of things like that are great. And um, and I like anything. I mean, I like anything that's got a good story attached. So some of the some of the other material that we've got, you can clearly see the personal stories that come through. We've got a really interesting file from uh, a woman who worked for us in the um, 1910s and 20s, and she was obviously very good at her job. Uh, you know, there's things commenting on it, and when she left, they had to ask her to stay on an extra few weeks while they tried to hire a replacement. But the reason she left is because she got married, and they wouldn't let her keep her job after she got married. So it's both really interesting and absolutely infuriating and quite sad all at the same time because you know that completely changed her her life. She's been relying on this job for you know ten fifteen years, um, and it says a lot. You know that that kind of file says a lot about the kind of social and political expectations of the time for women and for organisations as well. You know they weren't. They weren't obligated to make her leave, but it was clearly the expected option. Um, so it just says so much about the, the environment in which people were working, and I just find that really, really interesting. And it's also a, a really interesting file to to show to our students at different points as well, because it does tell them so much about what life was like at the time, and it's something that often they haven't really thought about before. You know, we. We're quite likely to do the suffragettes in school, but people don't necessarily think that there was more to it than the right to vote. So I really like the fact that then we can use this archive file and a, a true story to kind of open up wider aspects of, of the history of the university and of society for people. Yeah, it sounds like with um, South Bank, uni being so um, integral to the local community it sounds like it's a quite a good overview of what normal people are doing the culture of the times what they're learning almost like what people are googling today or what's trending on twitter or something like that yes yeah i mean it's it's possibly not quite as specific as um, maybe what people are Googling or watching yeah, on yeah. Twitter, but it does give a, a really good overview of the kind of things that people are concerned about. Um, the centenary we've got coming up uh, the next academic year is, is the centenary of when we started encouraging women to do engineering subjects, and that's actually immediately in the wake of the First World War when there are vacancies for certain kinds of jobs, um, and they need more people to come in these. So they start encouraging women to, to study these things. Um, and some of the things are you know, we were teaching women basic um, car engineering um, at a point where, and teaching them how to be chauffeurs if that's what they wanted to do because those, those are things that are actually opening up and there are perhaps fewer men around to take those jobs. But they're not the super skilled jobs so it's okay to encourage women into them. And it's a really interesting um, sort of snippet of social history at different points to look at what we're offering and how we phrase it. So yeah. the archives are, are great for that kind of thing. Nice to have some progressive, positive things to look at as well, I'm sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's really encouraging to say, yes, we were encouraging women to, to do these things um, at a time when perhaps other people 
weren't so much or when it was a little bit unusual and we were always set up with the plan of encouraging men and women to, to study um, and to have opportunities that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise and I do I do think that the archive material that we've got demonstrates a remission kind of from beginning to now um, and it's nice to think that it hasn't it hasn't changed too widely um, and that we can actually help support that with the archive material that we have. Do you have anything specific planned for that centenary celebration? Um, we have a range of things planned at the moment. Um, we have a, a Twitter account for specifically for the centenary, and we've been working on identifying some of the women that have studied and worked at LSBU in these subjects um, over the last 100 years. So we're going to have profiles of 10 of them. Uh, there'll be like one per decade and maybe some others as well who've done particularly interesting things or who've, who've got kind of highlights um, you know if there was anybody we, we do have one kind of minor celebrity who appears to have done one of our engineering subjects at some point so we'll be mentioning that at some point. Um, and then we're going to finish off with uh, a conference um, in about just under 12 months time uh, June next year to just discuss some of the challenges of being women in engineering and um, the history of it and how our own history has tied into that. Mm. It's quite a fun subject. Yeah, it is. It is. Who's your Who's your minor celebrity or is it a secret until the <laughs> revelation? Uh, Dorothea Selfridge. And then Selfridge is the department store. Oh, wow. That is a celebrity. I know. She's listed in, in she's very she's very subtly listed in one place and then she was technically a princess. So uh in in the standard class list she's down as a very simple, you know, first name, surname. And I just think, Oh, I wonder if and then um if you look her up on the prize list for that year, because I think she did win a prize for that particular class for, you know, having top marks or something like that, she um she is listed as princess. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's more, well, it's more so a little bit of research later, and it turns out that, yeah, she is, uh, she did one of our classes in the 19... I can't yeah. remember if it's 1920s or 30s now, but yeah. The Queen learned how to service a car and all that during the war, so it's not that far-fetched, is it? Yeah, exactly. I think, I think it was a, one of the, the car-related engineering courses as well. I'd need to look at my notes to be absolutely sure, but you can see that, yeah. Out there being an independent woman, as well as a incredibly rich department store family. <laughs> I bet she was racing around in her uh, Bentley or something. Having <laughs> yeah. a whale of a time. She will think that herself if anything went wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, is there anywhere else you want to point people at? Any other projects you have going on? Um, I think we'll have the big one that's coming up at the moment. Uh, we're in the process of moving our archive catalogue, so we'll have a new archive catalogue and site available uh, soon, um, within the next few weeks. Um, and then, uh, I don't think there's anything else particularly. These are all things that are taking up a lot of, of my uh, thought, thought and headspace at the moment, but I don't think there's any other projects that are necessarily um, coming up that people would want to look at at the moment. There are a couple of things on the back burner, but I can't, uh, I can't announce those yet. <laughs> Fair enough. We've got your big move to concentrate on first. Yes, yes. That'll be exciting. Yeah, yeah, it will be. Have, having some 
well, not purpose-built space, but um, if you've gutted it out, you'll be able to have some say over how you organise things, won't you? Yes, it's it's as purpose-built as it can be within an existing building. Yeah. yeah. So that's been that's been a really interesting process, actually. And if anybody who's ever moved an archive knows it's actually quite interesting and complex, kind of planning out what goes where and how it can all fit and what your requirements actually are. I mean, at one point early on, they were suggesting, oh, you could, you could have this this space. And I'm like, well, that space looks great, but there's no straight walls. Where am I going to put the shelves in? <laughs> and then they sort of, it's, oh, yes, this is a fair right. We'll just reconsider this. And oh, it means that we're now in a slightly different bit of the building. <laughs> yeah, it's always a learning curve. It's always, that's one of the great things about it. It's not a massive collection. It's quite a, a small archive service. But there's still always something new to do and something new to learn. Um, that's pretty good. Well, hopefully we'll be able to visit you soon on location um, and the students will be back annoying you with questions. <laughs> uh, I quite like the students' questions most of the time, so actually that's not about annoying, it's not quite the right word. <laughs> Thank you very much. Apart from when they ask me where something is when I'm, just, when I'm carrying boxes, that's slightly less helpful. But oh, apart from that. Yeah. Not the best timing, is it, when that's happening? No. <laughs> Thank you very much for agreeing to speak to me today. It's been really interesting hearing about the kind of things you have, especially the student newsletters. They sound like they would be very interesting seeing. Um, oh, they are. They're great. Evolve <laughs> over the decades. Um, yeah, I wish you very uh, the best of luck in your new move. Um, you can add architecture to your CV, no doubt. Um, but it'll, <laughs> it'll be good. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. Bye.